repeat that. Um, James chapter 4, verse 13, uh, to James chapter 5, verse 12. Uh, if you have a red cover Bible, that should be in page 847. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go do this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live to, um, and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone, then, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of the patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed, blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's person, perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven, nor by earth, nor by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Well, good morning. And uh, if you'd like to keep uh, James open to the passage that Calvin just read for us, and I'm grateful for Cassandra's prayers. How do you plan for the future? Uh, some of us, uh, we like to plan far ahead. You might be the sort of person that has a five-year plan or even a ten-year plan. Other, others of us are much more laid back. Uh, we just think about the next day or the next week or maybe even just the next month. And how we plan or how we think of the future can reflect the sort of people that we are, uh, how much we like to be in control, uh, how much we might worry. Some of us are warriors, some of us are not, or less. And sometimes things happen in our lives that we could not have foreseen or we didn't plan for, like accidents or illness, the coronavirus, who planned for that? So obviously, even if we like to be on the front foot, we like to be proactive, and like to plan far ahead, things happen in life that we also have to be reactive. We have to adjust and change what happens to us. So the coronavirus is uh, forcing uh, travel plans to change. Governments have to respond 
And even it's an evolving situation as well, isn't it? But with this whole areas in mind about the future, our passage today of James 4.13 to 5.11 is God telling us that he holds the future. So the right response is to humbly depend on him for our future and not to be arrogant. We are also in our future to live with the return of his son, which is near. That is to be our focus as well. So firstly, live God willing. Uh, James speaks a word particularly to us who are self-confident in our planning. Let's look at verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Uh, We can work out that his original audience are probably first century merchants or business people. Uh, The sort of people who love to plan, they love opportunity, love travelling, making a profit, making networks. Uh, Naturally, we have a lot in common, even if we are now in 21st century Australia. We've got the same sort of people who like that sort of thing. So it's very timely and timeless. He tells us not to be arrogant in how we act and plan for the future. Uh, So there in verse 16, he rebukes us in any boasting or bragging. That is, when we say or we have the attitude, the future is in my hands. I'm going to make it happen. I've got to make it happen. So my pleasure and my goals, my making it happen is the most important. Instead of humbly acknowledging or depending on our God and his control of our lives. Now here it's important for us to qualify and remember, James is not against any future planning itself. Uh, such as plans for coming years, uh, retirement, investment or insurance. Uh, So other parts of the Bible show us that planning is wise and prudent. We have to provide for our families and ourselves uh, and obviously not be a burden on others. Uh, That's some of the emphasis in the New Testament. So no, James is saying think of your future with humble dependence on God. Let's look now at verse 15. Instead, we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, uh, these words are not to be a magic formula, but if we just say, if the Lord wills enough. uh, So I understand uh, for Muslims, there's the saying, inshallah, if God wills, and that's just part of your normal speech. I can be like that. Well, the Christian version is not just to say that enough times. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills then we'll be okay. No, not magic formula. These words represent an attitude of our hearts and minds that I realise that my life and the life of my family is completely in the hands of God. So what does that look like on the day-to-day? Well, it means that I want to be prayerful. I want to be sensitive to his leading. I want to meditate on his word. Listen to wise Christian counsel. Uh, Reflect on the circumstances that God has put us in to learn what God might be teaching us. Because we know that things don't happen by accident. There's so many God moments, aren't there? And wise to reflect on that. Our desire is to make decisions that serve God and please him. And in God's good purposes, we have this attitude that life is a privilege and a gift from him, not a right. 
The Lord gives and the Lord takes away in his plans. All that we have and all that we are ultimately is because of him. So the frailty of human life needs to make us humbly dependent on God. Let's look at verse 14. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Uh, We can rightly proactively uh, do as much as we can to have a healthy long life. Uh, Regular medical checks, exercise, diet, uh, avoiding uh, our avoidable risks of stroke and diabetes, heart disease, those sorts of things, cancer risks. And uh, we're very privileged in Australia. We have uh, many means to be able to do that. But there is no absolute guarantee or formula that we will all have healthy, long and trouble-free lives. When I was previously in the aged care setting at uh, Hammondville, when I met someone who was above 90, I'd say, wow, you've made it to 90. Not everyone makes it to 90. And that's a reality, isn't it? Sudden illnesses like cancer or tragic accidents can strike out of nowhere. The North Epping community was devastated this week in a little, not far from where we lived. A poor mum lost her life because of a tragic car accident. It's devastating. But it helps us to have perspective even in that tragedy, doesn't it? Ultimately, our lives are like a mist, a morning fog. They can easily disappear. They don't last very long in the big scheme of things. So friends, brothers and sisters, this morning James says to us, live God willing. Verse 17 reminds us that we are to rightly recognise him. Let's look at verse 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Our lives are to be in God's hands, dependent on him. As we think of the future, we're not to be full of arrogance that just ignores him. To not acknowledge him is actually wrong because we are accountable to him, not only for what we do, but what we fail to do. This morning, if you're not a believer, you're seeking out, you're checking out the Bible, Christianity, we're so glad that you're here. Please take seriously the God who holds your life and future. Uh, Maybe you've started to think about that because you're here in church, which is great. Make time to know God personally. Don't leave it too late. Your life depends on him. None of us can escape the ultimate attention of God, even if we've got everything going for us in this life. So secondly, rich downfall. Uh, James then turns his attention to rich people and uses uh, strong words of condemnation. Now, a couple of questions we might ask here. Wow, this seems like a really big year change. Uh, Why does he choose to talk to rich people here? Who are these rich people? Are they believers or unbelievers? I have uh, four little points to say and answer these questions. Number one, James has mentioned the rich earlier in his letter. So back in chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, he warns believers not to show favoritism. He showed the example of a rich person and a poor person come along to church. 
uh, and then you uh, favour the rich person, you give them a great seat, and you treat the poor guy um, maybe less favourably. So James is actually reminding them that in their day, it is actually the rich who are oppressing the believers and blaspheming Christ. Number two, in thinking of the future, the rich can be prone to arrogance. That is, they can rely on their wealth for security and ignore God. I don't need God. I've got just massive savings and stocks and property and income. So here James turns the tables on them. Their wealth will actually be terrible evidence that convicts them before the judge of all the earth. Uh, Number three, uh, believers are not to envy the rich for their wealth because wealth doesn't automatically guarantee your future. We know that because of the GFC or how the coronavirus is devastating markets. You might have done everything right in your investments, but through no fault of your own, they can lose their value. And the rich will be accountable for oppressing the vulnerable. So number four, the rich being condemned here are unbelievers, uh, people such as wealthy landowners who have exploited their employees. James is not just rebuking them, saying you have to turn back to God or repent. He is condemning them because of what they have done. They haven't listened or repented before God. And here is the pastoral heart of James Because as he sees his own beloved flock being oppressed, then no wonder he's angry. No wonder he's putting out these words of saying, you're going to get it in the end. You might have it all fine now, but that will not happen in the future. God has got his eye on you. So as we see these strong words, we have to remember that James is not condemning being wealthy itself. Uh, legitimately uh, wealth can be inherited or a product of honest hard work. Now what he condemns is not wealth but the misuse of wealth. The misuse of wealth. Wealth, wealth is, money and wealth is a, is a tool. It's a means by which you can do good things or even do bad things. So in verse 3, hoarding is a form of selfish greed. Sorry, we're in chapter 5 now. Instead of uh, spending or giving to uh, give help or joy to others, hoarding clutches onto excessive wealth for myself. I'm going to hang on to it too tightly. In verse 4, there's a terrible injustice of unpaid workers who need to be paid for their own needs and for the needs of their families. That's the problem, isn't it? Several businesses have been caught with underpayment in our day and age. It's not just this... New Testament first century thing. It happens in even 21st century Australia and Sydney. So in the Old Testament, God especially condemned non-payment of workers. It deprives people of what they need. Workers should be paid. James here uses language like the Old Testament prophets to condemn them. So there in verse 5, their lives have become selfish and indulgent on the basis of others' misery. The poetic expression of fattening themselves with gluttony and pleasure. They're like fattened calves for the day of the slaughter, the final judgment. And then in verse 6, there's specific examples of using wealth, power, bribery or force to get rid of people who were innocent or who would have stood in their way. And we see that in the 21st century, isn't it? 
how whistleblowers have been intimidated, punished, oppressed, sacked, threatened, because they get in the way of the powerful and the wealthy, who they want to do the right thing, but then there is the wrongdoing that has happened. In our day and age, it would be easy for us to say, at least I'm not rich. At least I'm not like these rich people in James. And hopefully we're not as anywhere near as bad. We might not think that we're rich, especially when the budget is hard and you're trying to pay that mortgage or that rent. And there's times when it's just really, really tight. But we have to remember that we in 21st century northern suburbs of Sydney are very rich when we compare ourselves to the majority of the world. We're in the top couple of percent with our cars and our homes, our jobs and our income, even with our abundant clothes and food. Even if you don't feel very rich, then in the world scheme, you are. We're in the top few percent. The challenge for us is not getting sucked into the trap of our society of constantly wanting more stuff, of hoarding. For me, I have a confession to make. I'm one of those people that actually enjoys looking through uh, junk mail catalogues. Uh, when we moved uh, into our house last May, we uh, bought our place uh, after living with the family just on the same street. Uh, there was already a no junk mail sticker on our letterbox, so that's put a stop to getting catalogues. Maybe that means less recycling, but uh, it means that when I see catalogues at other times, oh, wow, this is... I love seeing the glossy pictures from the major retailers telling me about all the things that we could get, especially if you're trying to plan your shopping. What's on special this week? Yeah, that looks good. But I have to keep asking myself, especially for the bigger ticket items, do I actually need it? Even though they're telling me I need it, do I actually need it? Are they just luxuries? That's the world we live in. It's not, uh, it's not your fault to get catalogues. It's not your fault to get ads popping up on uh, Facebook or Instagram or things like that. You, that's not your fault. But it means we have to be self-aware and discerning. We're not falling into the traps of selfish indulgence, hoarding that's greedy. Instead, that we have a, this positive role model of we're using our wealth to serve, to give, to care, to love, to support to help and give joy to others, which pleases God. We're not to admire or imitate the guilty rich people who face downfall. When Jesus the King returns to end this world as it is, because of their defiance of him, they will get what they deserve. Instead, we are to wait for him with joy. So thirdly, patient endurance. It's in contrast to the downfall of the rich that we as believers are to be patient, waiting for Jesus' return because of the restoration and the vindication that he brings. So here in chapter 5, verses 7 to 11, is encouragement to be patient. Wait for the Lord to return. He will make things right. And it's especially important for the first century lead readers, along with fellow Christians across the ages, across the world today. Whenever you read news about Christian persecution in uh, India and Sudan and uh, many parts of the world. 
Christians longing for justice, longing for deliverance from terrible persecution. And it's actually fair to say that Christians are the most persecuted group in the world, even though secular media might not actually emphasise on that fact. Christians getting persecuted by radical Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, secularists. We long for Jesus to return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So we're to be patient like farmers. Let's look now at chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Obviously, in our, we know about our Australian farmers in their plight, their difficulty. They don't not only wait for the rain to come, for the, but for the crops. Also for the produce and the harvest that result from good rain. The return of the Lord brings the awaited blessing and his return is near. On the, other, on the one hand, it's been almost 2,000 years since these were in the first century. So how can we say it's near? But on the other hand, the coming of Jesus is near in the sense that the conditions are ripe in every generation for Jesus to come. Christians of every age have thought, surely the, the Lord is coming. There's terrible wars, there's pestilence. It just seems like things are going to end. And it's right for us in the moment to have that sense of immediacy. But yet it could be any generation. Because those conditions are cyclical, they just repeat and repeat of how the there is there are plagues, there are wars, there is famine, there is drought. There is immediacy to that. But in this waiting, life is often hard and frustrating for believers. As we know, stress and pressure can cause fights and grumbling. There's niggle, there's feeling tired, stressed, angry. We can take out our frustrations on each other. So let's look at verse 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers or sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James is telling us to not grumble, to not, which leads to fights and quarrels, because we're not just accountable to each other, but to the Lord. His righteous judgment will be on you and I, not just everyone else, but actually me. Inbuilt in every human being is this intuitive sense of justice for all people. Uh, these days I notice that uh, more people believe in karma, even if they're actually not serious Buddhists or Hindus. We've got that sense even as Australians, don't we? What goes, ar- what goes around comes around. That is, you'll ultimately get what you deserve. There's reward or payback depending on what you do. Or people like to use the term now, the universe. The universe is going to pay you back for that. But our Christian view is even superior to all of that. The Christian view is not just to see justice delivered by some impersonal force, but more than that, there is a personal God who rules the world. He cares deeply about the welfare of every single human being. A God who will interview every person, who will demand answers, who will not be fooled by lies, who is angry at injustice against people that he loves. He will bring out the truth. 
he will make me realize I was wrong. And any excuses that I have before him will look pathetic as they really are. This is a challenge to our world, isn't it? We believe in justice as every single person, no matter what belief we have. But we as Christians have something superior to karma. We have, we testify to a personal God who does everything that karma does, but even more. A God who personally cares and knows and sees every single person and is interested in their welfare, not just an impersonal force. So James ends our section by calling us to imitate those who are patient endurers. In uh, verses 10 and 11, the Old Testament prophets and the great patriarch Job, particularly Job is a great example because in his painful suffering, he was angry, he was hurt, at times he questioned God, but yet he didn't completely give up. He accepted the Lord's correction and rebuke. He didn't turn away from God, he turned to God. I know that I will I know that my redeemer lives said Job and one day I will see him For us at times hardship can be our lot we can be understandably angry and hurt why is this happening to me why is this happening to people that I love we can sometimes wonder what God is doing For the Lord's purposes, his compassion and his mercy can sustain us. We do not turn away from the Lord in despair, but we turn to him. God, this is hurting me. You might have hurt me. Why is this happening? But in you do I trust. Even beyond Job, we have a greater compassion and mercy. For God has not been distant from suffering. He took it on himself. Then he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins. He spares us from his righteous judgment. He allows us to wait with hope and confidence. We trust in his precious son. We belong to him. The God who allows pain to happen is the God who experienced pain, who understands and has provided for our need. We as Christians are not to be arrogant in our confidence of being right with God, of going to heaven. We're simply those who've received God's compassion and mercy as a gift. It wasn't a wage. The problem, the the scandal of underpayment is I've worked hard, I deserve my wages at the rate that we agreed on. But eternal life with God is a gift, isn't it? It's this unexpected present and saying thank you, God rather than saying, where is that which you owe me? As each of us plans our future, make sure that you know where you stand with God. Well, in conclusion, we've learned today that God is telling us that he holds our future. The right response is to humbly depend on him for our future, not to be arrogant or godless, like it's all depending on me. I've got to make it happen. No, it is on God. We're to humbly live with the return of his son, which is near. It is immediate. It will be a surprise to us. But he will sustain us however long that might be. 
we know that because of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for these great words of perspective. We are to humbly trust you. We know that you hold our future, whatever that looks like. And we pray that we would have patient trust, endurance, conviction, a sense of your justice. You are a personal God above any impersonal forces. Help us to plan prudently for the future, but with such humility. It is right that we plan for our families to provide. Help us to be freed from fear and anxiety and from selfishness, such as hoarding or clutching but rather that we can give freely for the work of your kingdom because of trust, because of joy, because of service and love. We pray that you would uh, allow us such resilience like Job, but even greater than he, like our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.